Welcome to the People of Pathology podcast. I'm Dennis Strank. On this podcast, I speak with interesting people in pathology, laboratory medicine, and forensic medicine. My guest today is Cullen Lilly. Cullen is a second year medical student, and today on the show, we'll talk about his background in microbiology and music. We'll talk about his time working at the CDC, and we'll also talk about his involvement with Path Elective and MicroMed Ed. Then after the show, stay tuned for a trailer from my interview with Maria Rosakis. Right now, here's Cullen Lilly. So you have a bachelor's degree in biological sciences, and then you also have a degree in music. So we'll, we'll talk about the, the biological sciences degree and where that ultimately led you. But I wanted to talk a little about the music degree, uh, if you would, for a minute. Why, why was it important to you to, to study music at, at the same time? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, during high school, you know, I was definitely in a lot of music uh, extracurriculars. You know, I did band and I was doing some choir and I was doing musicals. And I think as time went on during high school, I knew that music really centered me and it really helped me. Um, you know, it helped me with a lot of uh, different things. But, you know, in terms of the music, I just really fell in love with it. I think my junior and senior year of high school and as I was preparing for auditions for college, I had to choose if I wanted to do a musical theater kind of music or if I wanted to do a classical music. And so when we were preparing for the auditions, I really fell in love with Baroque music, which is, you know, the era of Handel, Bach. Mm, and okay. yeah. And so when I started really liking that, I decided to kind of pursue the classical part of things when I was auditioning. And I initially wanted to do music and do kind of like a minor in biology. And I wasn't really, sh I mean, I was sure that I wanted to go into some type of medicine. Um, so I knew it was going to be kind of a heavy degree, but I really definitely wanted music to be like a big focus during my undergrad because, you know, singing was really important to me and uh, I wanted to develop my voice more uh -huh. and, yeah. And so when I was doing, when I started the degree, um, I was really just music with a minor in biology, but then I started figuring out that the music was really a nice break from all the science classes that I was taking. And then I ended up kind of being one of the first people to do a full double degree with music and biology and, uh, in that program at least. Okay. And it, it was really nice to kind of uh, break apart the science and able to like kind of pursue that music uh, kind of like as a mandatory break. <laughs> sure. Sure. That makes sense. So you're, you're singing is your, I guess your voice is your instrument or did you do you play other instruments? Yeah. Yeah. During high school, I played trumpet. Okay. Uh, and I was also singing at the time. And I, I think singing is honestly my, my favorite kind of like music. I, it's really nice. And I think the words definitely lend a different type of uh, feeling into music and it lends a different, uh, you know, emotional aspect to the music. But oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I did. I did play trumpet. And then during your uh, bachelor's in music, you have to practice piano as well. So I'm not, uh, you know, professional pianist by any means, but I definitely had to learn it. Okay. I, I don't, I, the reason that I wanted to bring up the music thing, I, I know that studying music requires quite a bit of discipline and daily practice. And so I was curious if you felt like those developing those skills in the music degree program sort of transfers over to say medical school. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. During, I mean, during, um, high school, you know, marching band is probably one of the most rigorous in terms of the discipline. Um, and then kind of transferring that over into music, uh, the, the challenging part about a music degree. And I think any artist out there would agree with me is that a lot of your coursework is either one or zero credits. And so having something that you have to meet four times a week be one credit, it feels like you're kind of being cheated. Sure. Uh, so yeah. you kind of you have to really know how to manage time. And I think that was the biggest thing with a music degree is learning how to manage a class where you might meet once a week, but you have to uh, practice four or five times a week is something that you definitely have to get used to. And I think, you know, being able to balance the music and the science and manage time really well has been a really great help in medical school for sure. Sure. That makes sense. That makes sense. Now you said, I think you said already that you even, even back then you had planned on going to medical school anyway. Is that right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's an interesting story. So, okay. um, in high school, I didn't know for sure what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to go into medicine. So I didn't know if I wanted to go to medical school per se. And I think my, my mom definitely tried to talk me out of it. <laughs> she, oh, really? she does like uh, hospital management kind of stuff. Oh. And she definitely thought that the medical career, like a, you know, becoming an MD or a DO is not as rewarding as I was picturing it, you know, when I was a high schooler. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so she was kind of pushing me initially. She wanted me to do like, what was it? medical device sales. And I was like, I'm not a salesman. Wow. <laughs> but um, then she was like, well, why don't you try PA? And so I shadowed some PAs and in, in high school. And so when I went to college, that was my initial track was actually to become a physician assistant. So, you know, that was my initial goal. And then after I started undergrad, I realized that I love research. I love teaching. And I started shadowing more PAs and I started uh, as I was shadowing PAs, I started kind of leaning towards the doctors that they were under. And so like one day I was shadowing the PA and then like I was like, oh, could I like just tag along with one of your histories to like the doctor? And like the next time, like I was only seeing the doctor when I was going in. Mm. So I think I think that definitely kind of changed my path. So like kind of sophomore year of, of uh, college, I switched completely and i was like you know i'm I'm definitely going to pursue medical school my challenge was how much research do i want to be part of and so i didn't know for sure if i wanted to do md phd if i wanted to do a phd first or if i wanted to do md so i think um that was the challenging part was trying to figure that out but yeah it, it definitely was a process you know actually figuring out which path i wanted to go down the path you went then was to go and get the master's degree in microbiology before yeah. medical school is that i actually started my right out of um undergrad i started working as a microbiology technician and that really solidified my love for microbiology i mean i i could trace my love for microbiology all the way back to like seventh grade you know when you first like look under the microscope at like pond water mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah. you know, I, I, <laughs> I always loved microbiology and i think that was a huge uh draw for me to science was the micro uh -huh. but as I was working in the, you know, microbiology kind of like diagnostics, you know, I was doing Malditoff and PCR and sequencing and, you know, the biochemicals, I just really fell in love with it. So while I was working there, I actually applied to get a master's and I was about to actually, I started the master's and then I got a call from a recruiter 
who they do contract work at CDC. So I was actually a microbiology contract or microbiologist contracted through IHRC at CDC, which is a really uh, common path to get in. Okay. And um, so that's kind of how I started that. Uh, you know, I, I did the, I was doing the master's concurrently uh, while working there. Okay. You said IHRC, what, what is that? Yeah. Um, so there's actually like a, a few different uh, contract companies I, I could not name all of them, honestly, but they basically uh, CDC works with them to hire people to work at CDC. And so you're technically like getting paid by one of the companies, but you're working at the CDC. And there's also other fellowship programs that you can do as well. And so that that's usually kind of how it goes. Most people, I would say, are contractors. Okay. There's there's a few full time equivalents that like work in the labs and that's the FTE. But yeah, I, I, that's kind of like the most common path is either to do a uh, fellowship at CDC or to do a contractor uh, work at CDC. Okay. You know, I have to say back in back in college, uh, I, yeah, I really enjoyed microbiology myself and I had intended to go in that direction. So this, uh, you, you working at the CDC, um, I'm kind of, I, I want to hear about that because I'm a little bit jealous. Uh, what, 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 what kind of work did you do for them? Yeah, I was in the enteric diseases laboratory branch, they call it EDLB. Um, so mostly working with the enteric bugs and mostly doing bacteria. And so uh, the biggest thing that I was really, really interested in while we were there was that they are completely switching. I think CDC as a whole is completely trying to switch to more molecular diagnostics, which is great. Mm -hmm. And um, while I was working at a previous company uh, doing microbiology technician work, I got a certification in molecular diagnostics, which was really helpful. Um, you know, it was a lot of studying in terms of like qPCR and sequencing and all that stuff. But that really helped me at CDC because, you know, we were doing whole genome sequencing and we were doing uh, computational genomics. So the, uh, you know, just kind of getting the bug from a state lab sequencing it and trying to figure out what it is uh, without having to do all those biochemicals. And I think that was, you know, that's something that the CDC, luckily, they validated that before I was there, because I heard that was a big hurdle trying to get that uh, validated through, you know, all the different regulatory affairs. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. And so when I was there, I was working, my primary bugs that I was hired for were Listeria, Vibrio, Yersinia, and the rest of Enterobacterialis. And so um, that- well, Which one of those is your favorite? <laughs> well, I ended up kind of specializing a little bit while I was there and doing the the kind of odd bugs in Enterobacterialis. And, you know, also I, I'm saying Enterobacterialis because Enterobacteraceae has kind of uh, exploded. <laughs> and with more molecular data, they're starting to realize that you know, it's actually kind of a broader family and they have uh, Enterobacteraceae, Yersiniaceae, and, you know, it kind of goes on. But the the weird bugs that state labs couldn't identify were kind of what I was working on. They have separate labs for Salmonella, Shigella, and E. coli in the Enteric Diseases Laboratory branch. But the uh, Listeria, Yersinia, Vibrio and Enterobacteraceae are kind of in one lab. Your uh, Listeria is a little okay. bit different because it's a gram-positive rod, but and also there are some restrictions uh, for people who are pregnant, so that lab is separate. But that was really interesting, and you know, I, Listeria was the first bug to really get uh, whole genome sequencing validated as an actual diagnostic, and as well, it's also used for contact tracing. Um, 
and it's also used in outbreak detection. So they sequence the genome, and based on the amount of base pairs that are different between two isolates, they can see, well, these probably came from the same source. They do a little bit more digging, and it's actually been really, really helpful because Listeria, if uh, you know a little bit about the pathogenesis, it could take like 30 days to incubate. You'd have no idea where it came from, but it has some really horrible outcomes. I mean, Listeria can... Mm -hmm can really cause problems in pregnancy and newborns and also in elderly. So uh, it's it's one that you really want to get under control. And so whole genome sequencing has been very, very, very helpful for that. Okay. Okay. And you mentioned uh, you got a molecular diagnostics certification. What what did that entail? Was that, I know uh, ASCP has something mm -hmm. like that. Was Is that what you're talking about or is there something else? It's very similar. I got the certification with the American Association of Bioanalysts. So, you know, it's kind of like that, you know, there's a ton of different um, technologist certifications out there. It's very similar to that. So mm -hmm. it was like you had to have a certain amount of um, hours training and you had to have a certain amount of like, you know, degree credits uh, of a certain type. And then you had to be working for a certain amount of time. And so that I kind of met all of those requirements and my work kind of helped me, uh, you know, get there. And then the last part was just studying. And so, you know, you're not exposed to everything when you're training. Um, you know, there's certain things that you just might not do in a certain lab. So I had to study a little bit more, um, but it was really cool because I got to learn a lot more about regulatory affairs in a molecular lab, how to set up a molecular lab and all mm -hmm. of that stuff. I mean, I had no idea about any of this when I was an undergrad, but the regulatory affairs are really interesting and it's a huge part of laboratory medicine. So that was cool. And then also all the quality control, quality assurance stuff. Sure, sure. And all the regulatory stuff that's really coming to light uh, these days with with COVID, of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So then you did go on to medical school. You're a first year or second year? I'm a second year now. Second year. Okay. Yep. Okay. And you are going into pathology as a specialty is that right most probably <laughs> most probably I, I yeah i do want to keep my mind open i think that's one of the biggest things that even people who switch into pathology say they're like you know i i went into surgery but it was just because i didn't keep my mind open or whatever so i want to keep my mind open for sure i've definitely been working in pathology or you know clinical pathology um for a little yeah. bit longer so i think i do have a preference toward that but, you know, I'll, I'll see what happens when we start rotating. Well, what what other options are you considering? I think uh, the most interesting to me would probably be internal medicine. Um, okay. You know, it's, it's kind of similar in the kind of like thought process. You know, I really like thinking it's just a different type of uh, patient and a different type of thought process. So instead of diagnosing, you're thinking about how to manage. So you know, different puzzles, but kind of a similar, uh, you know, mind trick or puzzles or, you know, that, that kind of stuff. So again, you've, you've got two courses of study going on now. You're, you're also studying bioethics and health policy. Yeah. Uh, to, why was that important to you just to, to study that area at the same time? Yeah. Um, well, in undergrad, I did a lot of philosophy training. You know, that's a big, uh, you know, I went to Loyola, New Orleans, and that's another Jesuit school. Loyola Chicago is also a Jesuit school. And that, you know, that could be a whole different talk on its own. But uh, Jesuit schools do a lot of training in philosophy. And, you know, I taking those common classes in philosophy, I knew that it was something that was really interesting. It was very challenging as well. And ethics is a subdivision of philosophy. 
talking about morality mm -hmm. and um, you know what is ethical, what isn't ethical, and then policy is kind of the the step toward making ethics into kind of a generalizable policy for all. And when I was you know looking into doing bioethics, I yeah, Loyola is really great because they let you kind of start your medical career and your medical degree, and then you can start the bioethics after. And so we started learning some bioethics in our medical degree, and I was getting really into it. You know, I, I loved it. And then moving forward, I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, if I do go into pathology, there isn't a ton of work on ethics in lab medicine. And I think it's really important. It's kind of like a intersection between research ethics and clinical ethics, like that kind of laboratory still, but also patient facing in terms of the mm -hmm. results. And so, uh, you know, I, I wanted to kind of explore that more and also the, the uh, justice aspect. So if uh, cost of testing, et cetera, could end up having more test results for more people. And so with all of that, I decided to pursue that master's. They do also have an honors program, but they don't have as much training. And I think that was the biggest thing was I really wanted to understand ethics more. And that's really what the program has been helpful for, kind of looking at the different schools of thought, uh, different ethicists, and um, kind of coming to your own conclusions and actually putting work out there that is substantive. Okay. Okay. So I, I was going to ask you what you like, what you're hoping to accomplish in that area, but it sounds like you're just looking for a greater understanding of ethics so you can apply it to your medical practice. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate. I mean, I think there is some work that needs to be done in some areas. I, you know, there's a ton of work in ethics being done right now, obviously, uh, public health of ethics is a huge thing and also policy of public health. Um, but, you know, it's also important, I think, for physicians to be active in the process. And I kind of wanted to, you know, definitely get the training because I don't I don't want to just stand up and say, like, you know, listen to me. <laughs> um, but I wanted to get right. some training to understand this so that I could I could help um, other physicians and also help hospitals kind of put their voice out there on what is a just policy or what is an ethical policy that um, the public should be aware of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very important, uh, you know, especially these days, uh, having doctors and medical professionals speak out, especially in pathology, where it seems like we don't hear enough uh, from pathologists and, and people in the lab Absolutely. on these kinds of issues. So yeah, yeah that's that's great. Yeah, and I, I think uh, a lot of policies affect pathology, but because pathologists mm -hmm. aren't really at the table talking about it, um, they end up kind of getting pushed away and or pushed to the side. And they kind of have to deal with the policy changes. And I, I think it's really important for pathologists to stand up and say what is important to them and also how different policies affect them. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. So you're one of the co-founders of Pathology Elective, uh, which is something that I've heard a lot about lately, uh, especially, especially on Twitter. Can we kind of go back to the beginning of that? How did you get involved with this project? Yeah. So Path Elective, let's see, that started like in, I think in February or March, I was in Dr. Mirza's office. You know, I'm, he's one of my mm -hmm. great mentors. He's an awesome, awesome pathologist, really great guy. Um, and yeah. so I was in his office and we were talking about a different project. You know, I uh, got elected as the president for the scope 
interest group, the pathology interest group, they call it scope. And okay. I got elected as the president for that. And we were talking about some other projects, you know, some mentoring projects and uh, some different talks. But he mentioned this path elective online website kind of thing where he would put uh, some information together and we could have kind of a more uh, structured pathology elective at Loyola. And I was like, you know, that's really interesting. I would love to be part of that. And, you know, I don't think I knew what I was getting into because that was right before our spring break. And then the whole world shut down. And, right. yeah. <laughs> you know, coming back, he was like, well, you know, I was talking about this. Now it's like kind of needed more than ever. And we kind of just jumped right in. I think we everything that we did on the website was over Zoom and it still has been over Zoom, um, except for that first time where he mentioned it in his office. And, you know, it's it's been definitely interesting trying to figure out how to do everything and what what works best for different people and how to incorporate that into an elective at Loyola. So it was definitely a really cool experience. OK, so that was originally intended for Loyola. Yeah students and yeah. then it kind of grew to pretty much everybody yeah right yeah it grew to oh, at least we were initially planning to use it for Loyola students but it was like yeah it'll be open you know like you know and then it actually has turned into a full-on virtual elective with Loyola and you know people can apply to the program from all over it's a big thing for people who are trying to do a pathology match right now because not many schools are offering virtual electives and it's uh it's really really cool and i think it's been helping a lot of people yeah yeah it's i've seen like i said on, on twitter a lot a lot of great comments about it that's that's great and you're you develop the uh, of course the microbiology portion for this so how did you develop that that program yeah um you know it's it's still in the works i think the hardest part has been trying to get uh enough collaborators we have uh we have a lot of great collaborators in microbiology but it is a massive undertaking to kind of get enough coverage of clinical microbes for it to be substantive, but also really meant for medical students, right, to be in their clinical rotations. So instead of going through gram positives, gram negatives, and, you know, looking at the different diagnostic tests like you do for step one, we wanted to really try to cater this to, you know, actually what a microbiology lab does, what is important for a microbiology lab in terms of the, the blood sample or the, the, you know, the isolate, whatever it is, what's important for that lab. Uh -huh. And it's, it's definitely tough because it's, it, you know, right now we're in the middle of a pandemic and all the clinical microbiologists are, you know, basically sleeping at the hospitals working on this. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I definitely worked on the intro part of that and the molecular diagnostic part of it. And we have uh, some other collaborators working on the enteric part and the respiratory part. But, you know, it's it's still a work in progress. And there's also some other things on the horizon, possibly an intro to microbiology, which would be kind of uh, what you could take in order to help you with medical um, or, you know, medical microbiology in general or medical coursework. So that's kind of in the works. Yeah. It, you know, I found it interesting, you know, with with like you said, the world shut down and there's been all these ideas and these great projects of like alternate ways of learning like path elective. And I think, I think it's, it's great that these things are, are happening, you know, in, in the middle of something as terrible as COVID. Yeah. Yeah. And the pathology community really came together and, uh, helped 
kind of combat the issue on how do we educate people during a time of social distancing. And it was really inspiring to watch because, you know, I my whole research project ended up kind of getting canceled for the summer. I was supposed to be doing, you know, an NIH funded project working on Canada Aris, which at the time was a huge outbreak, you know, and now we're looking at, I was like, oh yeah, that was a huge outbreak. <laughs> it was like <laughs> 20 people, <laughs> you know? Wow. And, um, so when, when that got canceled, I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. But then looking at how path elective kind of took off and how the pathology community came together and, uh, helped combat medical education online. I, it was really inspiring. It was a great time. So you're also the website developer for the Path Elective. Um, how long have you been doing work like that? As long as I've been doing the Path Elective website is basically how long I've been doing it. Um, I think Dr. Mirza asked me if I could develop a website and I was like, I have no idea how to, but I could try to figure it out. And I watched videos. I uh, read some different things on like how to do it. But luckily, the website platform that he uses is really useful. It's really uh, user friendly, I mean. And so the, you know, it wasn't too difficult to kind of get the hang of it. But I, I think I didn't realize how big of a project it was going to be, how many web pages they would actually need. You know, thinking about just one uh, module, you know, let's think about like GI, you know, you have the esophagus, the stomach, the small intestine, the liver, the large intestine, the you know, appendix, and all of those are different pages on the website, and they all have to be linkable and clickable. And uh, all the quizzes too, because you have pre and post quizzes, it started growing uh -huh. pretty fast. And I think when we started coming up to our July 1st launch date, which was kind of what we were looking for. We were like, you know, we'll do a soft open on June 1st for the Loyola people because they needed to get some experience and get their online stuff um, cleared with uh, medical education so they could kind of, you know, get on track with their degree. But then on July 1st, we were like, we're going to open it for real. And things just started flooding in. It really became a full-time job. Yeah, uh, sounds like it. You know, like it, it was like every day, you know, and Dr. Mirza was amazing and helping me with that. And also there was some other residents at Loyola that were helping with the website development and quiz, uh, you know, putting all the quizzes together. So that was really awesome. I don't know what I would do without them because it, it grew. It grew a lot. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I didn't realize that you, you would say it would take up that much of your time. That's, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was definitely, you know, in the summer, luckily I was, I was doing my coursework with uh, bioethics, but it was, I had more time, you know, we weren't, I wasn't driving to school every day doing like research. It was, I was able to kind of like work on my own time. I think some of the things that ended up taking more time than I thought would be uh, you know, people submitting issues about the website and having to fix those. So, you know, people all around the world are submitting, uh, you know, these things You're like, Oh, Hey, this link doesn't work or this video isn't, oh, okay. um, we, we, we tried to put it, make everything as good as possible, but you know, there's going to be issues. So I think that took up a little bit more time than I thought, but it was really helpful because I was able to kind of make a mental checklist when I was making a website, I was like, Oh yeah, people always say, or like, I got a couple things about this or like, whatever. So then as time went on, it started to become a lot more fluid. Mm. And it was a lot easier to kind of make that mental checklist when I was like, okay, I'm going to make this live, I need to check this, 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 and this. And 
um, everything ended up kind of working out. Sure, sure. Okay. And it, since you had so much extra spare time, you started another project. <laughs> uh, so this is micro med ed, which you've been doing on Twitter yep. and Instagram that started in August, right? All right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. This is a recent project. All right. So when, when did you have first have the idea to start this one? Yeah. Um, actually it probably started when I was working on the pathelective micro stuff because I wanted there to be kind of a social interaction part to the, uh, microbiology elective. And I was kind of toying around with how to do this. We're, we're still, it's still an idea that we're toying around with. Um, we're thinking about doing a specialization, where you can actually interact with the micro community online after you completed everything. Obviously, we have to complete the whole module first, but that would be kind of a way in, in, in which uh, students could finish the module and interact with people online and be like, hey, here's this interesting case, or this is an interesting thing that I found, or this is an article that I summarized. And then that would be kind of a way to interact. But I wanted there to be another way where you know I could put some information out there and have uh, kind of I so what I end up doing is I kind of have a couple tweets about the figure that I make and then have some people like do a quiz like a little you know like the, um, the polls at the end of the tweet or uh, you know have comments on Instagram or Twitter and it's been a really really interesting way to connect with people and I think it has definitely helped build my um community that I interact with on a daily basis on Twitter and on Instagram, but it's also helped a lot of my friends, you know, we're doing microbiology right now in medical school and they've really liked some of the figures that I've made. You know, I did a gram positive differential and, mm -hmm. um, this week is going to be another fun one that they'll probably, uh, like, but, uh, it's, it's been nice. And I think it's been cool to see people like the figures that I make. Sure. Now, is this intended for medical students, people in medicine, or is this, are you trying to target like the, the public at large to get people interested in microbiology or, or both? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely I would think both. So right now, some of the figures are a little bit advanced, probably because I'm trying to get a little bit more out there because I want, I want to also help some of my friends in medical school, but also people that are preparing for step, these might be helpful. And then I'm, you know, I also have some basic science stuff that I'm, I've been kind of throwing in, um, you know, like the Koch postulates, mm, yeah. um, and the molecular Koch postulates. So I think that was, uh, you know, a way to kind of introduce that to people who might not have had as, as much exposure with microbiology, but it eventually it will be, um, you know, I'll, I'll have both advanced and, uh, not so advanced topics, kind of the basic topics. And it should, I think it should help people because with medical school, you don't necessarily have to take microbiology as a prerequisite. So uh, technically, anyone uh, going to medical school, they might not, ha not, not have had exposure to that. And so even just basic uh, understanding of microbiology, you know, a basic figure about the Koch's postulates or a basic figure about uh, the different types of DNA transfer in microbes would help a uh, medical student, but it would also help the public. So I think that's kind of uh, where I've been going. And also the it also has a link to the path elective website as well. So the students who are taking that course can interact with the content um, in that way as sure, well. I got you. Yeah. I, I saw the one about Koch's postulates and it gave, gave me a bit of anxiety. It's like, ah, I, I, I know this. I, like, <laughs> I have to try to remember. Okay. And reading through it, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Oh, 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. The, the, you know, the last thing I, I wanted to ask you about, I had, well, you, you probably know him, Dr. Constantine Kanakis on the show a while back. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and he was talking about using graphic medicine, you know, explaining medical things and using pictures. And I feel like that's what you're doing in, in a way with this micro med ed. Do, do you find that using visual images like this and like reaches more people or help people learn, learn these concepts easier? I, I think so. You know, I, as a visual learner myself, I get a lot of, I get a lot out of these figures. Uh, you know, I, I make them while I'm studying too. And so if I'm studying a certain topic and I'm like, you know, I think that would make a really good figure. I'll like make a figure really quick. And I, it helps me kind of visualize, put everything in one field and be like, you know, okay, like uh, this is where the part of the cell is and this is where the antibiotic is acting or, you know, this is what's happening here. And microbiology is not always such a visual field. And I think that's something that is a challenge for people, you know, looking at an experiment and saying, well, we know that it's DNA because of all of these different chemical characteristics of it. And you're like, well, but like, how does that make sense? You know, and so, you know, you can't really see into a microbe that easily. And so if I make some figures that can kind of explain these topics, I think it helps me, but I, it also helps people, I think in general that are visual learners, mm -hmm. but it is, I think medicine is kind of a visual field and it's, you know, especially pathology, like basically it's all about uh, visual recall. And I think, you know, that's why other things are really popular in microbiology, like sketchy, you know, if, if you know about that, no. um, there's a lot what of, that? uh, yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so sketchy is. I think something that most medical students use um, to understand microbiology, but it basically is like a, a sketch. Uh, it's, I think they have a whole thing on pharmacology and they have another thing about pathology, but it's like a sketch that kind of helps you put everything together in one framework. And so it tells a story or something where it's like a little vignette and um, it has the different characteristics of the microbe on there. And so that's kind of a visual way of remembering the microbes, especially for people who might not have experience with microbiology. But if you have that kind of as your basis, you're not really understanding the science behind it, but you can have that as the basis and be like, okay, well, I definitely remember that Staph aureus has, you know, a, a, it has a protein A or, you know, it has, uh, it's yellow on mannitol salt, but can we go a step further and kind of look at the science behind that and why that is happening or why they have these things and why that's uh, uh, evolutionarily advantageous. So visually, I think graphic medicine is helpful. And also for patients, if they really don't understand why am I sick or could I give this to someone else, the, these figures might help them in the future. See, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, you know, you throw a bunch of really long words at people who don't have any sort of education in that, and they might not understand it. But if you show them a picture, it, it would be a lot easier. I think absolutely be more effective. Absolutely, yeah. And you know, micro is uh, it's something that affects everyone. You know, we all get sick, right. and with uh, people, it might be challenging to understand why things are working. And you know, one of the things that I'm definitely going to be doing in the future is a vaccine graphic to kind of explain the different types of vaccines, why they work and how they're helpful. And because I think that's something everyone should know about and everyone should kind of see. And 
that would also be something that's helpful for patients. But, you know, yeah. if they don't know why they're sick, then maybe they can figure out uh, why they are, or what it looks like on the inside. And maybe they'll end up at MicroMedEd. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope. Let's hope. All right. Yeah. In the, in the show notes for this episode, I'll put links to, uh, you know, to MicroMedEd, to Path Elective, to all of the things we talked about. This is all great stuff. And I, and I think I think people should know more about it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, Colin Lilly, thanks for being here. This was great. Thank you so much. Big thanks to Cullen Lilly. Now, I really encourage you to check out the links for this episode. You want to look at Path Elective and MicroMedEd. It's really some interesting stuff there. The links are in the show notes. That's at peopleofpathology.podbean.com. You can always follow this show on Twitter at People of Path. And if you like this episode and if you like MicroMedEd and Path Elective, make sure you share this episode with someone you know. And together, let's inspire the next generation of pathologists and laboratory professionals. I'm a member and the CFO of the American Association of Pathologist Assistants. This show does not necessarily represent the views of the AAPA and receives no financial support from the AAPA. Thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you next time on the People of Pathology podcast. And now here's a trailer from my interview with Maria Rosakis. This is where Maria talks about how she created MedLab Chat. I wanted to talk about your MedLab Chat on Twitter that you started. When How, how long has that been going, actually? Uh, yeah, I had, so I had the idea for the MedLab Chat. It was only just a few months ago. Okay. It's really interesting how that came to fruition because it is actually really random how that start how I started the first medlab chat I remember I was talking to um, a friend of mine and he he is well he has been a, a medical laboratory science a scientist in the states currently in med school but I was talking to him about, oh, what are the, all the different designations for laboratory professionals in the US? Like, it's so confusing to me. I don't understand mm -hmm. it. And then we were talking about that. And then I don't know, all of a sudden I'm like, you know what? Let's have a Twitter chat about this. Him and I, we kind of partnered in running this chat. He helped a lot with like making the graphics and creating some questions. And during the chat, I was uh, posting the questions and leading the discussion. He was also there too to help me and the engagement. So this was back, I think in November, I started this and I only gave a few days notice. I'm pretty sure that uh, a lot of people were participating in this. The most recent MedLab chat was just this past weekend. So I hope you were able to check that out. And for more from Maria Rosakis, listen to episode two of the People of Pathology podcast.